Are you ready to make some real good learning? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Good Learning Podcast, where we dive deep into real-world examples of real good learning as told by the best L&D professionals in the field. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, founder and chief learning strategist at the Good Learning Agency, a boutique fractional CLO agency advising on corporate learning strategy that's aligned, effective, and approachable. At Good Learning, we believe over-the-top results don't require over-the-top learning. Each episode, we'll take a holistic look at a specific learning intervention, how it came to fruition, what went into developing it, how it was measured, lessons learned, and so much more. You'll hear from real-life L&D practitioners from all over the world who are doing the work and making some real good learning happen while doing it. No matter what your function is inside of your organization or team, we're all responsible for creating real good learning. Now, let's go see how it's done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I am so, so, so happy and honored and excited that you are here and that we are embarking on this journey together. And before we dive into our first ever episode with one of my most favorite people in the whole entire world, I wanted to just chat a little bit about this podcast in general, what you can expect, why I created it, all of the things. So as terms of why I created this podcast, many of you might already know if you are listeners of my other show, The L&D Career Club. Uh, that I have been podcasting in the L&D space for quite some time. I've been in the L&D space myself for the last 14 years. And over the last three and a half, four years, I focused uh, most of my time on career coaching and executive coaching inside of the L&D space. While also doing that, I focused uh, kind of more behind the scenes on the consulting side of my business. And a lot of my executive coaching really was consulting and helping helping executive leaders, chief learning officers, heads of learning departments in how they structure their teams and structure their learning programs and structure their learning strategy. And one of the themes that really kept coming up for me in doing this coaching and doing this consulting and working with people, whether they were new to the field or not, in all honesty, is there there was this pull to always find the next best thing and do better and the shiny piece of foil, the silver bullet. And you know, I really felt that everyone was really moving towards just the almost the instant gratification that we are as a society. And where that can be dangerous when it comes to learning is that we start to try all of these little things, right? We do this little experiment and that little experiment, and we're, we're, we're doing experiment upon experiment, but not really giving our learning experiments time to marinate and time to see if they're actually working. And it's this, this angst, right, to be better and to do better and to adopt the new tool and to you know work with this technology and to try this model and what I was noticing in a lot of my executive coaching clients and even my career coaching clients was the overwhelm that was coming with that. And what happens is, is we get into that state of overwhelm, our employees and our organizations are going to be equally, if not more overwhelmed than us. And so I really thought about what is what is real good learning look like? And that's what we're going to explore in this podcast, because I want to get back, I don't want to say get back to basics, but I want to bring the basics back up, right? So it's not going back to them, but rising them up to the surface a little bit. And how do we, how do we get back to the core of what we're meant to do inside of organizations, right? Provide support, be that support inside the organization to help people grow in their careers, grow their skill sets, increase their productivity, reach organizational goals, right? We, we have We have so much power inside of an organization, yet 
we spend so much of our energy focusing on all of these little be better, do better things that don't quite allow us to meet the mark, right? So we're spending so much time and energy in that space, yet it's not really helping us get there. So this show is really designed to give you all a look into what other amazing L&D practitioners are doing out there to create real good learning. And what you'll notice from these episodes is that the guests that are on the show are talking about things that you can actually apply. Because I think that's a big part for me wanting to in start, starting this podcast was there's so much advice out there, but it doesn't feel applicable. Right? I, I look at things and I said, yeah, though that, that, that would be nice, but my client can't adopt that in their organization, or that would be great if X, Y, and Z. And that's the reality for so many of us out there in the L&D space, right? We see the new thing, the shiny thing, the new model, the new tool, the new technology, but it doesn't really feel applicable. And so this podcast is really designed to have the best of the best L&D practitioners on to walk you through their experience, their expertise, and a really specific learning intervention that they created and give us the inside scoop on how it became a reality. So what you'll notice in this show is that the way that it's structured is every single guest is going to be asked the same set of questions. So you'll know what to expect every single week. We're really going to be looking at what was the what was the reason for this learning intervention in the first place. So we're going to understand what was the, the organizational goals, what was the challenge, what was the change that was happening that prompted the learning experience or learning intervention that we're talking about. What did that actually look like when it came to fruition? How did our learning practitioners measure? measure its success? What would they change if they could? What tools and technology? The list goes on. So these episodes are going to be pretty meaty. You're probably going to want to take notes in some way, shape, or form as well. So expect those to be a little bit on the, these ones to be a little bit on the longer side, but it's really designed to give you that deep dive into what real, actual good learning looks like that's happening right here, right now, across the world. So my hope with this podcast is it gives you inspiration, that it gives you tools and resources and ideas and strategies that you can turn around and apply in your own learning today, tomorrow, next week. And so with that, I wanna kick it off with our first episode We have the great, the amazing Dr. Heidi Kirby on the show today. So Heidi is a learning leader. She has over 10 years experience in the L&D field, building learning solutions from conception through launch. She is dedicated to building and developing teams, implementing processes, using a balance of theory and practice, and coaching new and aspiring L&D professionals. She hosts the Block Podcast, also co-founded Useful Stuff, and those are both resources for L&D professionals who want to create good learning. Heidi is also one of our fractional chief learning officers at the Good Learning Agency, helping organizations form build, and grow their L&D strategy. So without further ado, let's kick it off with Dr. Heidi Kirby. Heidi, welcome to the Good Learning Podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so, so, so excited. We were just like, you know, geeking out on all the things before we hit the hit the record button. So I'm so excited to talk about uh, this learning intervention today. But before we dive in, I know everyone listening probably already knows who you are, but tell us a little bit about you, um, okay. what you've been up to, your role, what you're working on these days. 
Yeah, so I'm Dr. Heidi Kirby. I got my start as a college English professor and then got into instructional design through the education to ID path that many take um, and worked at NASA for a bit, a large health insurance company, and then kind of just climbed my way into L&D leadership and to my most recent role as a customer education leader. Um, which we'll be talking about here today. That's the learning intervention. And for the last few, few years, I've hosted a podcast called the Building Learning and Organizational Culture, or because that's a mouthful, the Block Podcast. Um, last year, my partner Matt and I started Useful Stuff, a website for L&D professionals for, to have resources and upskill. And then since being laid off from my tech job in July, I've been working on those projects and teaching a podcasting course for the University of Florida that I've taught for the last year and coaching new and aspiring IDs. And then I'm about to embark on my next adventure with you. Um, good oh learning God. as a fractional chief learning officer and learning strategies. Yes. Oh my gosh. We can't wait. All of the good stuff. All right. So let's dive into what we're talking about today. Um, I'd love to hear the high level, what is this learning intervention that we're talking about today? And then what was the business challenge or change that you were solving for with this specific learning intervention program? Yeah, so I was actually brought on, actually hired at this company to build their customer education program. They had a really solid knowledge base with documentation and some of the most talented tech writers in the industry but they didn't have anything beyond documentation, right? And so they had purchased an LMS. They had made a couple of hires of content developers. The title was a little wishy-washy at the time. And they were looking for somebody to actually build and implement the thing. I love that. Okay. So what was the solution that was developed? So it sounds like the challenge too is like you just had all this great information, but no strategy around yes. how to actually make make it work or make it useful to use your your language there. <laughs> so what was this solution that you developed to really solve for that? Yeah. So the first thing we kind of had to figure out was the technology, right? The LMS and what we wanted to do with it how we wanted to white label it, how much um, time we needed. And we worked with closely with the LMS company, Skilljar, which is great LMS for customer education. Um, have to give them a plug. Um, hashtag but, hashtag know, they, sp sponsor us, Skilljar, sponsor us. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll take it. Um, but they, you know, gave us like a really great plan to kind of, you know, work through all the logistics. So there's a ton of logistics when you're launching an LMS and we won't get into all that today, but that was one piece of it, right? Um, the other piece was like, what is the curriculum gonna be? And there were a few different areas where people were making content. So, right, we had documentation, like I mentioned. We also had a marketing team who was making YouTube videos of like, here's how to get started with our product. And so we had those, but then we also had onboarding managers, a whole full team of onboarding managers who were doing virtual sessions one-on-one -on -one with every separate customer and doing, going through PowerPoint slides, doing training and like, here's a screenshot of the system, right? And so we had these different resources to pull from, but we really had to like start by asking the question, what does a new customer need? 
when it comes to this product, right? And one of the best tips that I ever got was when I first got into customer education, someone who'd been in there longer than me was like, oh yeah, for customer education, you train to the 20% of the system that people use 80% of the time. Instead of doing, I've seen really bad stuff, right? Where it goes left to right, top to bottom of the entire interface, <laughs> right? And by the time you're done, you're like, how do I use this? But that, you know, using that tip and then having all these different resources to pull from, we also had um, someone whose role was voice of the customer, right? And so we had data from someone who was regularly interacting with the customers to put together to just pull from all these different um, help desk tickets even, right? So we were able to look at that data and say, what do people need help with the most to be able to kind of create a structure for the curriculum itself? Yeah. And at the end of it, I mean, what did that, like, what did the end result look like? We think about like from a, from a, it's from a customer perspective, right? So a lot of, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited that we're talking about this particular, this, per, this particular topic, because you know, all the other podcasts we've done on, on this show have been about that, that more internal. So what does mm. that look like now? If I'm the customer coming in, like what, what does that solution look like to me? Yeah. So the LMS is white labeled. First of all, you can't tell that it's Skilljar. It just looks like it's part of the company's website. And then it became a suite of, I think about what call it a learning path for lack of a better word of like nine or 10 short courses, right. On different um, parts or functionality within the product. And there's kind of like a core four or five that everyone, no matter your role um, should look at. And then it kind of veers off and where the web developers who are going to be using the product the most have like an additional four or five courses. So, um, and when I say courses, most of them, about 80% were asynchronous. And that was the stuff that the onboarding managers were just kind of like in the zone, robotically presenting Autopilot. same time. Yes, every time. So we knew that that was scalable, right? We knew that that could be asynchronous. And then for the things that were like well, it depends on the customer and it depends on how they're using the product, how they use this functionality. We had um, a technical trainer on our team who would hold virtual sessions with multiple customers at, you know, um, scheduled times, like twi twice a month, there would be this course, twice a month, there'd be this course and people could just sign up for it and come virtually and come with their own situation and get help that they needed, kind of that custom help. Yeah. That's nice too, because I think it also, when you're able to bring in different customers into that one place, they get to also learn some best practices yes. from each other and think, oh, like I didn't even think about asking that question or, oh, wow, they use it like that over there. And it creates a kind of a safe playground environment to see what other people are doing is because you don't Absolutely. always know like who else yeah. is using this product too. So I think that's a yeah. great, you know, almost like byproduct of of scaling sure. it that way that people are able to have those conversations with each other. Absolutely. And because some companies don't want that too, right? Like they don't want people to know, like they don't want any customer overlap. And so it was nice that this company was like, yeah, bring all the customers together. So. Yeah. So in putting, putting all this together and, you know, really being able to kind of create this journey and this map and this overarching strategy, what would you say 
really formed or informed your ability to create that strategy? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was a lot of things. I think it was the kind of overarching business goals um, and how quickly the product changed. We had to find a solution that was very easy to tweak and to change. Um, but then you also have to look at what the customers want, obviously, like that's part of it too. Um, but then also like the, the finite resources, right? Like time. Um, the first four months, we had the technical trainer hired, but we didn't have anyone to create content. So I was not only leading the team, I was the instructional designer for the first four to six months while I was hiring people. And so, you know, those limited resources, that limited budget for tools and, you know, trying to figure out the best way to um, distribute the information, right? How do we want to do these videos? We, we toyed with the idea of like, do we want to do something with like hotspots? And we ultimately decided, no, they can create a free account. They can go play in it themselves and not break anything. And so, you know, just kind of like all of those typical needs analysis questions that you bring in and that you look at to see, okay, how's this going to fit in with the business? How does it fit in with the resources our team has? And then what, how does it meet the customer need? Yeah, I, I love that too. And I think looking at those three, those three buckets and then finding like where are these threads too. Um, and it, yeah. it sounds like as well, what one thing that I thought was really interesting how you, what you talked about in the beginning was doing that assessment of what you already have and what's already yes. working. And I think a lot of times when it comes to implementing something new, it's really easy just to say, wipe the wipe the slate clean. And now we're gonna create everything from scratch again. And while there's some places where that might work for the most part, we're missing out on stuff that already exists and yeah. just means you have to tweak it. Right. So, well, the content already existed for their orientation or their onboarding. You're just, you're just changing the modality of it too. So that's right. something I know, like part of our process at good learning is like amplifying what's working already. And like, that's something that I know you're really good at going in and saying like, Hey, what is working? Well, this content's working. It's just the modality yeah. is not working. So we don't have to exactly. recreate the wheel. We're just going to like move the wheel over, over a little bit and reposition it over here too. So exactly. being able to do that was something I really caught from, from your, from your, your story of that. Yeah. And the people who are doing the thing before you get there or before you start the thing are great subject matter experts too. And I feel like a lot of times we leave those resources untapped because we're so eager to wipe the slate and do things our way, right? Like we want to come in and make our mark. And like, we don't realize that we can still do that with what's already there. And then we have these like amazing knowledgeable resources already at our fingertips. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that kind of goes to my next question too, of like the skill set of, of the team. So I heard too, like technical writing and technical training, what, what, in addition to those skills, what skills did you and, and your team leverage to create this solution and make this into reality? Yeah. So when I came on board, there were, um, the, the idea or the goal was to have like content developers. That was the title. And they really, um, from the perspective of leadership, they didn't really have an instructional design background. They didn't really have a learning and development background. So they were thinking kind of almost in marketing terms of, we need people to shove out content. And I'm like, well, actually, we need people to find out what our customers need, do a full needs analysis, 
design things, give them for free. Like we need instructional designers here. Like that's what we truly need. And was able to make the case for a shift in job title just almost immediately. Um, and actually to move someone who was in kind of a not fitting role who had never created content before, but knew almost everything about the product. And so we had had an opening for a technical trainer. I said, why is this person who's never created content in this content development role? And we're hiring for a technical trainer, but this person, people love to talk to them and they know everything. Why aren't they the technical trainer? So I was able to move them over into the right role which worked phenomenally. And then when it was time to hire instructional designers, I was actually able to hire three um, at the peak of our success. And I looked for different strengths, right? And I think sometimes we as hiring managers hire like really homogeneously and we hire people who are like us and have like the same, and we're drawn to that, right? Because I, like that's that's life, right? We're drawn to people who are similar to us. We're drawn to people who we share interests with. But by looking for people with different strengths, I was able to hire somebody who had a really strong graphic design development background who became our developer. And then I hired someone with a really strong accessibility and writing background. And then somebody with like an equally strong accessibility background, but who had like a just a knack for asking the right questions and being kind of um almost tenacious in like not stopping until those questions were answered. So we had like people, if you think of like the instructional design process who had a strength at every step and it was, you know, what it does is it not only enables your team to work really well. And we kind of did like assembly line style work where we had two IDs doing the design and the needs analysis and then passing it off to the developer. Um, but it also, there's like mutual respect there because they realize, oh, hey, this isn't my strength. And then they start learning from each other as well. And so now they're like bolstering those different skills. And it was just, it was probably my favorite thing was building that team. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like too, like in hiring that way to your point of like, they're learning from each other and now they can then flex, they can flex and support each other in different things too, as the, as yes. assembly line moves down, yeah. right. That developer person might actually need some support. And because that, right. the, and because they, they had done the, the analysis and the design and they're learning from the developer, like they can start to plug in and play there too. And, and vice versa. And, you know, we were exactly. talking before, before we hit record about, you know, how, how easy it is for many people just to say like, here is what you're, L&D or customer education or whatever, you know, what inter X learning team like should look like. And the reality yeah. is so much of it depends on the projects, the organization, the goals. I mean, the list can go on. And so it was really great to hear. And some of the work that you know we're, we do at Good Learning is like looking at that overarching strategy, then being able to make recommendations of here's our one, two, five-year strategy. And right. here are, here's the talent that we need to make that a reality. And that's not, you know, not every organization has the opportunity to do that. But then to your point, sure. you were able to see one opening and move the pieces around two to yeah. identify that that one opening was now going to, you know, allow for, allow for others to, to come in and, and make those changes as well. So I, I love that yeah, you, you, absolutely. you had the perspective of the overarching strategy to say, Hey, if we move this one piece, all these dominoes will, will fall into place as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So obviously you were implementing, like you were putting all this inside of a technology tool, right? So Skilljar, um, what other tools and technology did you use to make this a reality? Here's where I'm going to get on my soapbox. If, <laughs> if you've ever seen anything I've ever done before, you probably already know that this is coming. So um, when it was just me by myself, I was just using um, Camtasia and Snagit and Canva, right? Like Love it. just doing some screencast videos with some simple transitions and some simple text on screen and just putting them with text and maybe, you know, Canva for diagrams, right? Or like, um, you know, flow charts of things that are more, um, you know, abstract concepts that have to do with the product, not the product itself. Um, and then once we hired someone who had the more developer background, she started using Adobe Creative Cloud. And so she started going in there and editing video and, you know, doing the things that she was used to and knew how to do. Um, you know, and then just like audacity is what I used for audio recording and editing. Um, but the instructional designers eventually decided they're like, we want storyline. We want this to look more like traditional e-learning, which if you know me, <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, let's not say we did because I think that authoring tools slow teens down significantly. Yeah. Um, and that there's a lot of other better ways, like, you know, just our cobbled together tech stack of Camtasia, Snagit, Audacity, Canva, Adobe Creative Cloud, like was enough. Right. Um, but they, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll honor your wishes and we'll, we'll, we'll get storyline. Um, and I mentioned before I had two people on the team that were accessibility advocates and the kind of accessibility advocates that are like known in L and D and beyond for oh, yeah. their work in accessibility. Yep. I know, I know, I know who they are. <laughs> and so when the time came to make our accessibility checklist for our new courses, how we were newly producing courses at that time, um, we found out that the claims that Articulate has about the accessibility of their product just don't match up to how it is in practice. And so we ultimately canceled, you know, our contract with four or five months to spare because we, it just wasn't tenable for us to use that and be, we don't know who our customers are. We don't know their limitations. We don't know. So we have to be accessible for all, right? Yep. Um, and we just cannot use a tool that hampers that in any way or causes us to have like these, the, the workarounds for it was taking my developer hours upon hours to get right. And like, we just couldn't do it anymore. So yeah, I mean, we scrapped see, it's, that. Mon it's money going down the drain. It is. It's money and time too, right? Like we have a deadline. And by the time we put a course out, if the product's already changed, we're worthless, right? Like our job is worthless. So we went back to the original tech stack. Um, and really, it was really nice because then our courses just became kind of these interactive web pages where it's like, you know, text, and then maybe there's a link out to a document. And then there's a screencast video, a really short one that shows you how to do something. Um, you know, a flow chart or like concept map. And then you just kind of move through the course that way. And it was so much easier. And, you know, one of the things for everyone, always, for everyone, for every, for everyone, end user included. Right. And then they don't have that dated looking interface of the e-learning that makes everybody like have some sort of like visceral reaction because they've had a bad experience. Right. Um, but you know, the other thing too, is that like we were using Wistia to upload our videos 
And that was a tool that our marketing department was using. And then we had Google Analytics connected to SkillJar. And by just adopting what our marketing department was already using, we had such richer data. Wistia was giving us how many times the video was viewed, where it was being paused or stopped or abandoned, right? And so using that data, we could then look at how helpful is this video really instead of just the complete, incomplete, 100, zero that authoring tool plus form gives us. Yeah. And I, I love, love, love the idea too of like, what is the organization already using? What's A, already been approved organizationally? What have we already paid for organizationally? Yes. Right. And like, and then oftentimes too, to your point, you're actually getting better data, you know, and I, you know, we, we could probably had to do a whole podcast episode on like the death of SCORM, like RIP, but you know, not only that, not only is it, you're getting this rich data, it's more accessible, you're, it's easier to utilize. Like there's just, they're, they're, why, why are, why are, why are we well, still using And the this money word? saving too, right? Like the money saving, like authoring tools cost a fortune anyway. And tools like TechSmith and, but the marketing team just gave us a spare seat in Adobe Creative Cloud because we only needed one, right? Yeah. Like, so we got Adobe Creative Cloud for nothing on our customer education team's budget. We were just borrowing a seat that was extra and open. And like, I think a lot of LMD teams could get way more resourceful at that. And, and, you know, if there's budget cuts that need to happen, that's a really great place to look. Yeah. I love that. So how, how did you measure the success of this program? I wish it was better than it was. Um, I had to fight for good metrics, um, because originally, and I think, I think a lot of people face this in their organizations, the organization wanted to measure hours of training. And that is like, that kills my heart, <laughs> but so many organizations want it, right? Like they want the quantity, like they're like, we want to measure how many hours of training we have punished our people with, <laughs> right? And like, it they're better sadists. be 800 they're hours they want, they want to know they're... per year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I, and completions, right? How many courses completed? And I was like, stop, no we will never report our success on completions because in customer education, especially, I just want somebody to get what they need and get the hell out and go do what they need to do, right? Like you don't need to complete this course if you don't have to. I just need you to be able to use the product successfully. So one of the things that we then looked at was how many, how much time had we saved the onboarding managers after launch, right? That one they were doing all metrics. that one-on-one -on -one training, Ugh. right? And we saved them over a hundred hours there. And now there were a lot of them. <laughs> so um, spread between, but in like, I think it was in like a month, we had saved a team of between six and eight over a hundred hours. And that's so, so much that money. One that's so much money. So if you much times money. that by like an hourly rate, like how much money you're saving and like how much yeah. more productive they, they are in doing something else. that's actually moving the needle forward versus being the robot. Yes. And long-term metrics that we didn't get to measure um, due to lovely tech layoffs, but were going to be things like help desk tickets. Some of the courses that we created were specifically 
in response to frequent help desk tickets. And so we were going to look at that number in the next quarter and see if it had gone down any, see if we had helped any. And then of course, you know, just reactionary and anecdotal, right? Because we want to triangulate the data and I think qualitative and quantitative is important. We are looking at reactions and pilots and different customers and how they felt about it and, and, you know, things like that. So, yeah. I love that. So what, thinking back to that, this entire project, what would you do differently if you could? That's a really hard question to answer because Um, In July, the entire team, including the tech writers, was laid off. So the full customer education function was laid off. And it's, it's hard as the leader of that team not to feel like tremendous guilt about was there something I could have done differently to save the team, right? Um, In this particular case, considering how many people were laid off from the organization, I don't know if anything would have helped. Um, But one of the things was that we had a revolving door of leadership for me and my lateral manager, who was over the tech writers, we had a new leader every three months. And so every three months, I was having to take a pause and wait for this new leader to kind of figure out their vibe, figure out, you know, when you get director level people in, they have like the vision that they want to enact. They have a plan. They have like their way of doing things, right? And so having to take that pause, which every time ultimately led to me being given the green light to keep doing what I was doing, right? It cost us a lot of time, right? And I think that if I had just kept my foot on the gas, maybe there would have been some personnel issues I would have had to deal with with the directors and, you know, some, wait, hold on, whoa. But maybe at the end of the day, we could have shown value faster Mm. and that could have had us survive longer, but it's really hard to say, right? Like it's really, it's hard to know when it's so, when it's an organizational problem like that and a cultural problem like that with just leadership, right? Like we had a really great director come in and leave after 90 days. And, you know, one of the people on the team described it as she came in, took a look around and went, oh, no, and left. Oh, no, right? no, thank you. And that's, that's <laughs> so scary. That's horrible, right? Yeah. But, you know, I think that time to value and not having the proper team in place when I first joined and having to take on so much of the work myself, um, really kind of just time, right? <laughs> I would have given us more time, right? Yeah. And moved faster. Yeah. And I think too, so much of that comes back to, you know, having that high level leadership strategy and being able to put the right people in place, or at least move the right people around like before you get started in a lot of these things. Again, it's not, you know, no one's perfect and we're going to run into that, you know, left and right. But, you know, I think if there's an opportunity to have that high level purview and say, okay, do we have the right people to make this a reality? Even if there is a leadership shift, right? It's like this, this has, we can continue on with that um, versus all of those. So yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of that out of your control, but I think the, the, the take the takeaway there too of like sometimes you just got to keep pushing forward and I used to always say you know ask for forgiveness not permission so yeah <laughs> got me and that's like, where I got, got trouble to by I the definitely end got me in trouble yes. before yeah. that's where I got to by the end of it right and so 
you know, my poor most recent manager, um, you know, he had to deal with all the fallout of having that revolving door where I was just like, Hey, I'm doing this. And he'd be like, um, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's trust too. Right. So I think it's, it building that, building and, he, that did, and he, he was great. He was, you know, save the best for last, really, honestly, Aww. in terms of, of leadership. Yeah. <laughs> Cheer, well, cheers to him. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned it earlier, but you are a fractional CLO here at the Good Learning Agency, um, one of our learning strategists, which is so exciting. What type of projects are you most excited to be working on here at Good Learning? So like I mentioned, building teams is really a building, right? I love building things. So any opportunity where I can come in and just help an organization say, okay, we've got one instructional designer and they're doing everything and they're burnt out and they're going to leave and we don't know what to do because we need these things. That's the kind of thing where I can come in and say, all right, let's figure out what we actually need, how we can staff this, how we can make it feasible. But then also like, even building curriculum, right? Or a program, or if it's like, oh, we really need a leadership development program. We're losing middle management at a ridiculous attrition rate, which <laughs> lots of places are, um, you know, like that's the kind of programs. I love building programs. I love building teams. I've implemented one too many LMSs in my life. Um, so I have a ton of experience doing that. Um, I don't enjoy it as much as working with people and building teams, but it's still, you know, um, but, you know, I've worked internally and externally now in L&D teams under HR and for customer education. So like anything that touches learning is really what I love to work on. We love it. You want Heidi to be your fractional CLO, make sure to find us at realgoodlearning.com and you can read all about her. All right. Last question for you, my dear friend, what is your number one tip when it comes to creating real good learning? You know what I'm going to say. I know. But the, you the already people, know what I'm going to say. The, the people may not know. So tell the people <laughs> what I know. <laughs> Even though it took Matt and I days to come up with the name useful stuff, <laughs> days and we flirted with so many like flowery names for for the website um what we landed on was that the most important thing that learning can be for an organization is useful right if we you know uh, like i said earlier we try to measure the success of what we do by by numbers right but i can watch bob ross and i have for like hours a week it doesn't make me a painter right if I don't know how to use or have the confidence to use or know where to look for the resources to use the things that I need to do my job, then what's the point, right? Yeah. It can have the most glitter, the most fun games or characters, but if I can't use it on my job and in my work, it means nothing. I love that. I know. And whenever we were first talking and you're like, wait, the agency's called good learning. This is great. Good learning, useful stuff. Keep it, yes. keep it simple. Keep it simple. I make get it to good. make my LinkedIn headline. I make good learning and useful stuff. Like done. Easy, easy, peasy. There's nothing more on brand for me. Yeah. And that's, and that's the, the beauty of, of what we're, we're all working towards, right? It's like, how do we make good, useful learning? And you know, my, my favorite 
questions to ask. And it has been, and I've mentioned this now in almost every episode. So sorry, everyone. But, you know, I think we put so much emphasis on the tools and the technology, like externally, like out in the world, what you see on LinkedIn, but I'm talking to some of the best practitioners in the business and no one's using any outrageous tools. I mean, everyone's just like, yeah, we use PowerPoint and Camtasia and, you know, a little bit of Adobe sprinkled in here if we need to, but um, it's just been really, you know, we use Canva. So it's, it's just been so incredible to hear again, like it's not about making it over the top and outrageous. It's about making good learning that people can actually freaking use. And that's what we're we're all about here. So I know people, if they don't know you already, they're going to be obsessed with you because why not? But where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you, useful stuff, all the things? Yes. So the best place to find me is just my LinkedIn because everything else is linked there. Um, The Block Podcast, you can find it on any major podcasting platform, including Google Podcasts, which to my sadness is going away soon. Um, But also, if you go to the website, getusefulstuff.com, you can see all of the nice, helpful articles and the L&D word project there that defines a lot of different L&D terms. Um, And yeah, I think that's really the top three places. Amazing. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for joining us on the Good Learning Podcast, talking all about useful stuff and this customer education program and putting it all together. It was so amazing just to hear your your journey of, you know, the the process of not only building this program, but building the team around it and the strategy too. So thank you so much for hopping on and we'll see you around the Good Learning Agency. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you got both inspiration and practical tools that you can use to create your very own good learning. If this podcast impacted you in any way, please consider giving us a review to share your feedback. We would love to hear how you're applying tips from the show to your own work. And if you're looking for help in creating your very own good learning strategy for your organization, check out realgoodlearning.com to see how we can help.